This is part one of a three-part podcast. Hi, my name is Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. So, so Jacob. <laughs> technology. <laughs> I remember getting an email from you about 25 minutes ago, and you said, whatever you do during this thing, don't ask me to tell people about myself. <laughs> yeah, more or less. Uh, if you want to lose that. Please, please, please give me like a brief summary of everything you are and have done in two seconds. I'll just sit like this. So, so yeah, I, I, I kind of introduced you. I said the guy wrote the book, Early Retirement Extreme, and I mentioned the podcast that we did like five years ago. I pointed yeah. out to people that I thought it was one of my best all-time podcasts. It's like eight years ago, actually. I, anyway. <laughs> I I looked. Okay, maybe it was. Maybe yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah it was a very long time ago. Uh, it's podcast number 059, if anybody wants to go on and look it up and listen to it. Um, uh, I know that after we recorded the podcast, that I know that you have forums talking about your book. Um, and uh, um, is it fair to say that, I mean, you're probably maybe the leader, if not one of the leaders of FIRE, Financial Independent uh, Early? Maybe maybe former leader, uh, retired leader. Retired leader. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no. I mean, I I I, I stopped actively uh, blogging uh, many years ago in 2011. Okay. Uh, so I'm sort of just hanging back. Uh, sort of, uh, I I retreated to my mountain top where I sort of sit and. Uh, People were willing to sort of uh, take the journey all the way up the mountain. Like, well, I'll talk to them, but uh, in general, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't do much promotion anymore. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, now, I mean, since, since we talked, I mean, when we talked the last time, there were like five fire blocks in, in the entire world, and now there are like hundreds, if not thousands. And I, at, at, at that point, I think it was like, I think we talked in 2010. Anyway, so I, I basically shut down in 2011-ish because I felt like I had said pretty much everything that I could say about it. I was just sort of repeating myself, and that was not really my thing. So, uh, But since then, it's sort of taken other directions, and there are many more voices in this space now. So, yeah. Plus, once you're retired, doesn't that mean you get to be retired? <laughs> you know, you get to go do all the, the fun yeah. thing. It's like, you know, sure there's people with questions. Hopefully somebody will help him out because <laughs> I'm retired. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's also like if you ask answer the same questions, you know, like multiple times, it begins to sort of like grind on you. Um, so now, anyway. uh, a little ways after our podcast, when you and I recorded that podcast, however long ago it was, I remember there was a bunch of stuff coming to uh, to, to my empire. And because uh, every once in a while you look at the stats and be like, okay, how do I make things better? What do I do? And there was something that was like um, uh, I was getting a lot of traffic to my stuff that I'd written about where I called it the Wheat and Eco Scale. And the only reason I called it the Wheat and Eco Scale <laughs> is because, like, could, can I have a scale, please? I just need yeah, to say okay. it. And I, I realize it's not the ultimate everything scale. It's just yeah, – No, no, no. I, I disagree that. This is really, like, a super great tool. I mean, it explains everything when it comes to, uh, like, trying to uh, – sort of convey some idea that's beyond what the sort of like the, the sense of the bell curve is all about. I mean, this whole thing about when you go one one level up, people are sort of inspired by you. If you go two levels up, you're like a little too extreme. And if you go three levels up, you're downright crazy. Right. Going the other way, right? Uh, people behind you tend, tend to get a little bit, like one level behind is like, wow, man, they should try a little harder, you know? They only try a little harder, whereas like two levels behind, all well, these guys are like, <laughs> the problem with everything. The, the thing that made me really happy about all this traffic I was getting, and it turned out to be from you, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. is that 
basically you took the framework that I laid out, which is I called it the Wheaton Eco Scale. So I wanted yeah. to talk about like, you know, eco elements, environmentally friendly elements, uh, those those kinds of things. And mm. and so just to kind of give a quick summary, there are uh, eleven level levels numbered zero to ten. Um, yes. and zero has a majority of the population, like six billion mm-hmm. people. And then level one is, uh, I believe it's like a, a one billion. And then level two is a hundred million. And then it's a, it's a, um, order of magnitude smaller each time as you go up the levels. And then the key of this was to point out that like wherever you are on the scale, anybody that's one level up is cool. Anybody that's two levels up yeah. is like super right. cool. And anybody that's three levels up is crazy, and which is what you just said, but I'm kind right, of... Right, right. And this is also exactly what I've experienced. <laughs> and, and then anybody who's behind you is is, is fucking everything up, and they, you need to hit them with sticks or something. And th- these are observations. These are not like, this is the way it ought to be. These are observations. Right, 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 Once right. We embrace the observations, and it's like, okay, now if we want to get the idea across, here's kind of what you got to do. you got to recognize that there's going to be some people that appear to be crazy, mm-hmm. but they might actually be advanced. Yeah. And then, if, if you go, if you go like back to uh, the thing about whether I was the leader or whatever, what I eventually realized that I was too far removed. So I wouldn't reach that many, but sort of like since then, it sort of like filled out between like the normal consumer and ERE. Yeah, so that right. people, people are sort of getting the message that like the, the biggest guy in the world right now is Mr. Money Mustache. And so people like say mainstream consumers get inspired by him and then they hang around there and then they see, okay, there's a year now that doesn't sound so extreme anymore. And then they move on. So I've sort of like, I'm sort of like hiding out. I've, I've been hiding out on the sidelines ever since. Makes sense. Well, I I think that when you take the two observations and you mash them together, then the message becomes like, okay, if there's somebody who isn't to your level yet, step one is don't hit them with sticks. That doesn't really help anything. Mm -hmm. Step two is, is that if you tell them about stuff that's one level up from them, they'll think it's cool. But if you tell them about stuff that's uh, three levels up from them, mm-hmm. they'll think it's crazy. Yeah. So the moral of the story is, is that if you want this message to move forward on a large scale, what you got to do is you got to appeal to the people at level zero and one, mm-hmm. and you got to tell them about stuff at level two. Exactly. Maybe that's, level three. That's, that's Don't kind tell of like them. The, uh, the lesson Don't I learned the hard way. And it eventually decided to outsource. <laughs> and don't don't tell the general public about level four stuff. Yeah. They'll they'll just think it's crazy and that you should be institutionalized for your own right. safety and the safety of the general public. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, but I kind of feel like, and this is and this is part of where I was using the scale um, was was to be like. I want to talk about the level five to seven stuff. That's where I really want to talk. And so I kind of feel like. Therefore, and I put that into my podcast. I kind of feel like the podcast is the place where I can do that. And therefore, most of the population cannot can, cannot look at my podcast. They can't listen to my podcast. They can't have anything to do with my, because they're just going to think it's crazy right, and horrible right. and monstrous. Mm-hmm. And so it's like that's that's part of the deal. But the cool thing is is that you took my scale and and you mashed it into fire or ere which yeah, is and like I was a fire weeding scale <laughs> <laughs> so uh thank you i i i appreciate that um all right someone's pointing out f-bomb who used it was it me i must have used an f-bomb it must have been you i don't know i, I someone said uh did he say what I think he said? And I thought, well, what, what did you say that was controversial? I couldn't, because I'm trying to have two conversations at once here, one, one with you guys and one with the people in chat. And right. I said, something that will make people happy. I, I, uh, I fully appreciate the full beauty of the English language. And so, um, and I, and I mark all of my podcasts as explicit. And I would, uh, I, I wish to thank all the people that are so upset by f bombs. I can use the f word. Yes, you can. Please do. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got in so much trouble on doing that. <laughs> yeah, no, not on, on on my podcast. Go ahead, all you want. Um, 
And uh, but the thing is, is that the people that are that choose to be offended by this language, um, I, I gotta say, thank you so much for being offended. And in fact, if you could be super duper duper offended, that's even better, because when they when those people get to be so extremely offended, all of the works of Robin Williams comes out about thirty percent funnier. <laughs> and, and so it just it makes my life richer the more offended that they choose to be and and it's like when you try to do research on this particular word that they've cho- chosen to be particularly offended by it's kind of like there's zero behind it there's there's nothing there and it's kind of like you this is clearly nothing more than just a choice it's, a show. it's an it's an artistic choice it's a life choice some of us choose to live a richer life, and some of us choose to be offended by that person living a richer life. And it's like, something to do, right? That, that for some people. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then we get we get some people that uh, have contacted me to say that um, uh, there is no reason in the world to use such language, uh, and now they won't listen to my podcast anymore and stuff like that. And then I get for every one of those, I probably get four messages from people that say that they love this kind of thing and don't listen to those guys. So, uh, uh, it's, it's a, it's a choice. This is, I hope that for whatever I say that there will be 10 other podcasts out there where people are choosing a different language set and, uh, and they're conveying the message and what, what is in their, by their value set better. Let's move on. Jacob, you've read this chapter. Have you read any of the other chapters? I read a bit of the introduction, but I, I don't know if that was the uh, the ultimate version or the most recent one. It was on the on the on the closed uh, forum thread, not the Google Doc. Okay. Uh, and I've I've read the table of contents, so I can should probably put in as well. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm hoping that uh, because we've just we. You and I, uh, uh, I brought, I, I invited you to come take a look at this chapter about a month ago, I think, and, and we got your feedback. But now that we're closing in on getting the last couple of chapters in there, I, I hope that you'll read the whole book and give me feed your idea of the whole book because you are an author. I would love to get your feedback um, on everything. But, but for today, I also know that you have a lot of notes. I can see your notes on our chapter. And I'm going to read the chapter, the whole damn thing. And I'm willing to stop like every sentence, every paragraph, whatever you want to do, and get your feedback. Sean has lots to say. But, of course, it's been um, uh, super polished by Sean and I. And Sean will be reading all of the, the chat stuff during this recording. And um, so we'll stop at any time for anything that anybody wants to stop for and say stuff that Sean believes is stop-worthy. Sound good? Yeah, I'll, I'll try not to put my editor hat, hat pull it too far. <laughs> All right. Metaphor, so, so. <laughs> we have elected to name this chapter, and this is chapter 10, Radically Deviant Financial Strategies. Uh, okay, first, first sentence. Uh, you have my permission to cackle wildly if you happen to implement any of these techniques. Okay, fair enough. We start off with the story of Gert, a millionaire life without a million dollars. Over the decades, I have met people that live a magnificent life and have no job. I thought, why do I have to work and they don't? They must have a trust fund or something. Nope. The answer turns out to be stupidly simple. My attempts to share what I learned were futile until I came up with the story of Ferdinand Gert. And so, um, uh, Jacob and Sean, I, I'm going to just quickly verify that this is true for the two of you. You have a thing in your head or you witness something and you try to share it. And there's somebody who desperately wants the information. They're asking for the information. And you try to tell them what you've observed and and help them. And And they're like, nope. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. <laughs> what you're saying is stupid. Doesn't exist. It's not true. You're 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 a fucking liar. I can't talk to you anymore. Yeah. Is it? You guys have experienced? Yeah. True? yeah. I'm, I'm not the person. only one. <laughs> All right. So 
I made up the story of Ferdinand. And I got I also got to give a shout out to my high school uh, algebra two teacher, um, uh, Miss Shannon. Uh, her name is Sharon Shannon from Lagrand, Oregon, and uh, and so she would do story problems in algebra two, and they always starred. Ferd and Gert. <laughs> okay. and, and I believe she said, I want to make it clear to all of you that whatever you go out and do with your lives, you are never allowed to use Ferd and Gert. And I tried to contact her to get permission. <laughs> and uh, I could never get in touch with her. So I don't know. So she's, so I'm kind of hoping that she finds out about this and gets pissed off enough to contact me. <laughs> so, uh, this is the story of Ferd and Gert. <clears throat> Ferd works a job. It starts off sounding kind of like a story problem, doesn't it? <laughs> Ferd works a job for 40 hours per week. <laughs> and then he travels to this other country at 20 miles an hour. How long does it take him? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Ferd works a job for 40 hours per week. He spends about a half hour commuting each way. I think probably is- the average Ferd probably spends more than that. I'm guessing. But, but, you're, right. but you're 20 miles an hour is just like... I think right on the right on the money there, right? I think it's like <laughs> the national average uh, of of car speed is 18 miles an hour. If you divide how far how how, how far people get in their cars divided by 100, <laughs> how much time you know total divided by total, you get like the 18 miles an hour. So really, we could probably save like the only need two years for the average car, right? First and second, I would say. You know, we skipped over some introduction about you, yeah. but but of course, what was your job before you retired? Before I retired the first time or the second time? <laughs> <laughs> the third time. Well, that, the first yeah, time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, once upon a time, many years ago, I was a so-called computational nuclear astrophysicist. And And so then when I mentioned math problem, then yeah, that's uh, suddenly, not suddenly a problem. You're like, oh, I'm in, I'm in. Yeah, right. Okay, how many? Yeah. How fast were they going? No, they weren't. I can prove it. <laughs> so I, I, uh, use, I use graphs in my books. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, so my mistake was to to start talking about a math problem, and yeah. suddenly that activated mm-hmm. that part of you that needs to solve that math problem. <laughs> My mistake. I, I thought I was just being kind of funny because most people avoid math problems. Yeah. But but okay. <clears throat> so um, I do think that uh, I I read somewhere that the average commute time uh, is 25 minutes each way. Oh, really? And and so, but I'm I'm saying 30 minutes okay. just to make, to make the math simple. Yeah. Uh, so Ferd works a job for 40 hours per week. He spends about a half hour commuting each way. So that is now effectively 45 hours per week. Ferd spends 10 hours per week on food stuff, uh, driving to restaurants, waiting in line at restaurants, ordering, waiting, uh, driving to grocery stores to get his favorite foods with the best price, shopping, uh, waiting in line, etc. Between income, monthly expenses, and whatnot, Ferd has about $200 per month of disposable income, maybe $800 in the bank. Ferd spends nearly all of his disposable income on fun things. He's looking for entertainment and life substance. Ferd dreams of having a million dollars so that he doesn't have to work anymore. If he had a million dollars, he could buy a better house, a better car, awesome toys, and would no longer have to work at this sucky job or any sucky job. Ferd earns $40,000 per year now. Wait, so I, I might interject with some commentary. <laughs> I've, got, I've, got one, I've got one sentence left. Okay. Just, yeah, I'm, I'm reading it on the screen here. So, I, yeah, okay. 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 Uh, in 20 years, he will have had several small raises such that by the time 20 years have passed, he will have earned cumulatively a million dollars. Okay, there you go. 
Now, you have something to add, Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, the, the, the first point is uh, this is sort of like typical of, of third thinking. Um, when it comes to a million dollars, it's thought of as something, if you have that, you could spend it on buying more stuff. And that is, like, in, in stark contrast to... Uh, seeing that money as a capital asset, which you will come to later, I think, uh, which is the way the next person is, is talking about it. Um, the, the, the other point is, I think, to, like in 20 years, uh, people have cumulatively earned a million dollars, but realistically probably also have spent a million dollars, thus leaving him with nothing. Um, right. So... Yes. True. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, I, and so I think my analysis is going to line up with yours. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, you're essentially describing the uh, the generic consumer worker, consumer who earns and buys and earns and buys and spends a lot of time doing that. Essentially, essentially a lifetime, right? I mean, it's, it's similar to like uh, so. Yes, two hundred dollars per month in disposable income or like leftovers after the needs. And uh, all that is um, all that is spent on consumption. It's not invested in anything. It's not, uh, and, and the main consumer activities is like consuming TV, consuming movie tickets, consuming restaurant meals. There's no, there's no value at. There's no production. I so, think that's like a distinct difference there. I I want to kind of go off on a little bit of a tangent, just real quick, because you, Jacob, are on the phone, and and on and I was just talking to Sean about this just moments ago before we started this, and that is that I'm going I'm going to put it out there that a lot of people fear retirement because it's like at their jobs, their job defines who they are. They 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 have a function in the world. Yeah. And they do something. And if they didn't have that anymore, they would, they would, it would be kind of like they would cease to exist. Right, right. They, all, their days yeah. would be empty. They would be nobody. And what would they do with their time? Now, I want to take that and set that aside. I want to combine it with something else. And that is that they hear about things like carbon footprint. Now, you know, before we get like 87 comments about how there's no such thing as carbon <laughs> footprint stuff, right. um, I, I want to say that it's like, you know what? I can't walk outside and and see the carbon footprint floating around in the atmosphere and say, like, oh, it's, it looks worse today than it yeah. did yesterday. I, it's invisible. I can't see it. And so I'm, I'm going to be – and then, the, then there's the whole thing of, like, we're all going to die. All human life is going to cease to exist in 37 years at the rate we're going. Uh, scientists have proven it. Uh, kiss your ass goodbye now. And for those of you that are my age, it's like you're gonna die of other shit before they. Right, yeah, yeah, we're kind of lucky. But, but you youngsters are kind of screwed. <laughs> well, I'm old enough to. <laughs> so, yeah. but the thing is, is that you know you hear about this, and then maybe Ferd is like on his communities listening to the radio, and it's like you're all gonna die unless mm-hmm. you do something about your carbon footprint. <laughs> so, uh. Ferd is listening to this and he's like, oh, what should I do? Well, it's probably coming out of the tailpipe of my car. And yet I got to go to work. I mean, right, right. And I kind of feel like your book and my book, which is also Sean's book, our book, uh, kind of is the same thing. Like, like we have other solutions for you. But part of it is, is like, I don't want your sucky solution of retirement or whatever, because if I stop working, I become a zero. I become nobody. And it's like, I'm not going to stop working. And, and so I kind of feel like that's for this, for, for your book and my book, that that's kind of got it. That's part of it. We talk about that. And that's part of what's being presented is, is this kind of like, because I kind of feel like Ferd, and of course, Ferd's an entirely fictional character, but I get to make up whatever I want that, that the Ferd thinks. And, um, and a lot of it being because, you know, I've been in those trenches and I know, and I think all three of us have been in the trenches. I think almost everybody who's chatting away, look at all the words go by so fast. Uh, they, they've been in those trenches. So we all kind of get it. We all kind of understand. We, we, we know about this scenario. And, and for me, 
I have experienced things and I have seen things that are such that I don't want to go to a day job anymore. I've yeah. got so much other stuff I want to do. Right. That's, 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 I think that's, yeah, that's, that's a real problem. I mean, as you said, like a lot of people are defined by the structure that you can have it, so to speak. And if you take that structure away, they don't know who they are, what they want to do, et cetera, et cetera. I think that starts pretty, pretty early on. I think actually sort of, sort of like in a conspiracy minded way almost. That that is the uh, main function of the educational system as it currently exists. People start out curious and internally motivated and creative. And as you sort of learn to, as as you proceed to through through the educational system, um, you switch this internal framework to an external framework where you start working for rewards, for grades, and then later for job titles and higher salaries. And if you take that away, I mean, then eventually you, you essentially become really, really good at, at meeting, you know, um, uh, mission statements, uh, specific milestones and goals, and you've become re- really good at being sort of like a specific end and a specific anthill. And if you take the anthill away from the end, the the end is kind of nothing on its own, right? And that's, and that is really, really hard to, to sort of regain that internal motivation. Uh, so I have, I have some understanding for, 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 for people who, who do go back and are afraid to sort of, 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 of leaving the, the, the matrix as, 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 as. <laughs> I, I want to propose that Ferd, based on what we just read, by this single paragraph for which we described Ferd's world, that I'm going to just throw into the mix something that's not in the books, but I'm going to say what Ferd wants more than anything at this point in his life is to be able to buy a jet ski. He wants, he feels that if he could get a jet ski, he could go to the lake every other week in the summer and ride his jet ski and and that'll be the ultimate fulfillment for him. Mm-hmm. And so at the moment he is saving up to get this this jet ski, which by the way I'm going to further state that he's thinking he'll go every other week, maybe even every week throughout the summer to ride his jet ski around on the lake. Yeah, probably and not going to happen. <laughs> and that'll and that'll fill his soul, and he yeah. will be, he will then be happy. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is, is eventually he does get that jet ski and he is so happy with his purchase. He's so excited to have his jet ski and yet he ends up riding it only twice each summer for mm-hmm. three summers before it breaks and he can't be bothered to go get it fixed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that is sort of the, uh, that is, that is how consumer society is in a sense set up. I mean, it's almost like a heroin addiction, right? You buy a product. You get this little jolt of happiness or wherever that product, you know, gets shot in. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's, it's temporary, right? I mean, there's, there's this thing called the, the Easterland paradox where, where, um, you, you measure essentially if it's been done over, uh, multiple countries, multiple incomes. And if, if you have, uh, expenses or cost of living on one axis and happiness on the other, You'll see for each country that happiness sort of peaks out at about two, uh, I think it's like 30% above the median income. So once you make wow. more money than that, you're not going to get any more happy. Uh, and, and I think this is, this is actually what got me started on this whole thing because I was, I was just, I was, I was just like, uh, what it was preferred in, in, in my early twenties. I mean, I had, I had a part-time job and I would save up money to buy some, some stupid technology. Uh, hi-fi system, computers, cameras, and then I would play with it for three months, and then I would get tired of it and start researching the next one, save up, buy it. So savings were kind of like up, down, up, down. And eventually I kind of realized what is the end result of that? You end up with an attic full of like toys, essentially. And the only difference between people of, of, of like different incomes is that the toys are bigger or smaller respectively and it doesn't really make make you happy to do that it's, it's sort of like a, a temporary feeling of happiness you get from buying that but this is what keeps can keep humans motivated most humans motivated for like 40 working years that thing right you get a structure where you spend all day working 
and that gives you an identity, and then it both dangles this little carrot of a jet ski, and then next maybe like a motocross cycle or something, or maybe you can like build the ultimate overland, you know, that kind of stuff as, as you get, get, get more and more. But if you take that away, this is, is for, for many people, this is nothing. So now, I want to throw it out there to the two of you, as well as to all the people that are in the chatty thing over here. Um, I've defined Ferd, and um, I think I think Ferd is like, if he's not exactly the average uh, employee at the average job, he's really close. I mean, uh, uh, if nothing else, Ferd is entirely plausible. And, and probably is close enough to at least half of the working population of the United States. Um, does that seem reasonable to the two of you? Yeah, I say 90%. Wow, okay. <laughs> John? Agreed. I agree with Jacob. Okay, all right, all right. And then go ahead and let us know what people think that are on the, on the chat thing over here. I think for the function of our book, that a big part of what we're focused on here is going to be about <clears throat> how FERD, I mean, you know, our book is about giving people recipes to build a better world in their backyard. And, uh, and I think that, that FERD is kind of like, he believes that the, that there's not very much he can do about it. That, um, and I hope that the book paints a, a brilliant picture of lots of stuff you can do, including the re, the re, uh, retire early thing, complete with a package of joy, which is about what we're, we're about to get into. But um, <clears throat> the focus being something I mentioned a little while ago about how Ferd believes that his tailpipe on his car is probably his personal footprint. And, and I, and throughout the book, I want to point out that it's actually not your, not the tailpipe on your car as much as you think it is. But he believes it's the tailpipe on his car and that there's really nothing he can do about it because he has to go to work. And, and that most of his, most of his emissions are going to be coming from his daily commute. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, I want the book to point out that that's really not the case, but I believe Ferd believes that. And that there's nothing he can do about it. Therefore, we're all just simply going to die and, and Ferd's making himself comfortable with that notion. Fair? Uh, I, I think, I think a lot of people have great faith in technological solutions. I, I don't, I, I think people who are sort of both aware and, and resigned to that to sort of like the, how, how, if, if, if current trends continue, as they are, you know, the, the sort of like the, the dark, the, 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 the darker outcomes is maybe there'll be, uh, I, I saw like, like serious people like, uh, James Lovelock, the, the guy behind the Gaia theory. Mm-hmm. I think I read somewhere that he projects there to be about 500 million people, uh, left by the end of this century. Uh, I'm a little bit more optimistic than that. Uh, I would say maybe 500 people by uh, the end of the 22nd century. Uh, <laughs> but I think, I think uh, again, what 90% would probably believe that uh, technology will bail us out yet again. That's something that they are working on, on something. Uh, they need someone else. And so you do what, I mean, you think about the tail. Tailpipe, CO2 is bad, but yeah, Elon Musk is working on electric cars and electric cars will save us. I think that's sort of like the general attitude in the sort of like in the, in the inferred world, uh, <laughs> its world. You know, it's funny you should say electric cars because earlier today, before we recorded this podcast, we were yeah. working on the, on chapter 32 and, and we actually mentioned Tesla electric cars and yeah. it's like, and the, the bottom line is this. Is that, and this is part of chapter 32, the big finale for the whole book. And, um, if you switch from electric heat to using a rocket mass heater, you reduce your carbon footprint as much as parking seven cars. <laughs> but if you switch from an internal combustion engine vehicle to an electric vehicle, then you have cut your, uh, a carbon footprint tied to your vehicle in half. Mm-hmm. So therefore, switching 
to uh, from electric heat to a rocket mass heater has a 14 times greater impact on your carbon footprint than switching to an electric car. And so I I think that you know, and this is the, the focus of this book is about how it's like real change is different from what you would think. Yeah. Uh, so, now, along those lines, moving along with this chapter, yeah. let's, let's now, we've, we've talked about FURD, which is the normal, mm-hmm. kind of like what, what most of us are used to. And now let's talk about GERT. And, and it's like, I believe in, uh, you know, and I've talked about GERT in a previous podcast. I've written about GERT. Um, I, I kind of, ever since I wrote about GERT, which, I had the thoughts before, but I didn't seem to be able to express it properly. But ever since, it's like everything in my permaculture world is about GERT. Mm-hmm. GERT is the center of my universe at this time. So <clears throat> let's read, let's, let's read about GERT. Uh, GERT has realized the permaculture dream. She lives on a few acres and eats the food that grows there. During the warmer months, she spends some time harvesting and preserving food. During a week or two in the fall, Gert is working a good 50 hours a week. But for most of the year, she is working less than 10 hours a week. Gert does spend about 10 hours a week making her meals. Usually it's something quick, but sometimes she makes something more elaborate. Neighbors sometimes buy some of Gert's excess food. Once a year, she'll help with a permaculture design for somebody. Gert has a little pickup, but she hasn't fired it up in three months. She has about $300 per month of disposable income and $4,000 in the bank. Gert has trouble spending this extra money. She's not sure of what to spend it on. It just sort of accumulates. Gert earns about $7,000 per year now. She intends to earn less money in future years. Over the next 20 years, Gert will have earned $100,000. Now, that's compared to the million dollars that Ferd earned. Well, I mean, at least the 140, right? Math check. (laughs) Gert's trying to earn less. Gert's trying to earn less. Oh, okay, okay, so it's going. The money's down. just <laughs> building up, and she doesn't have anything to spend it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a little bit the same same problem. If Gert had a million dollars, what would she do with it? How would her life change? Since Gert is a fictitious person in my head. I hereby declare that her life would not change. If your life does not change, if you have a million dollars, then is it fair to say that you are living the life of a millionaire? Maybe we could call this being a permaculture millionaire. Okay. So now I see that there's a comment by Jacob on this. Yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that is, that is, that is, that is right. I mean, that is, I mean, essentially that, that's the point where you've reached the, reached the point of abundance, right? Um, or if, if we put it sort of like in, 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 in plant terms, you're like familiar with the Liebig's law of the minimum, right? I'm, I'm not. Go ahead. Yeah, no, um, all right. So, uh, that was some agricultural research from like a hundred years ago where they looked at how much input that various plants needed. Uh, potassium, uh, sort of NPK. Uh, sodium, potassium, uh, whatever, right? Water, sunlight, and what was what was what was found that if you take away one of these essential uh, inputs, then the plant will not grow at all. So there's like a minimum for each of them. Uh, as a corollary, if you keep adding more water but withhold all say potassium, that's not going to help you. That's not going to make the plant better, right? Um, so I'm, in, I'm probably stretching the metaphor here right now, but in, in, in uh, Gert's case, if you keep adding more money to that lifestyle, that's just like adding a harmless fertilizer to a plant that already has enough. And so it does nothing. So the money just sits there and accumulates, and now what do you do with it? And that is, I mean, within, I think, the fire community where 
uh, so the, the, the fire millionaire, the people who oversave, the, the, it kind of becomes a question because all that money just sits there and compounds. What, what do we actually do with it? Uh, do we start a business? Business? Do we give it to charity? Uh, do we? What, what do we do with it? Because the money is um, actually uh, in, in, in the fire community. There's, there's a great post by Mr. Money Mustache where he compares it to, I think, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, water. The water in the faucet. You have water on tap, essentially. Mm-hmm. We have water on tap, so we kind of take it for granted, right? Uh, and that means we don't really think about it, when we <laughs> it, but it's, on the other hand, not like we just let the water, we, we just let the tap be on all the time so the water is just running out and saying it's just, it's just there. You don't think about it. Uh, so in that sense, if I circle back, that is living the life of a millionaire, even if you're not spending the, the actual money. It's the same with, 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 uh, the air, air quality, oxygen in the air. It's something you take for granted. You don't think about it. Now, I think we mentioned this earlier, but just to be clear, uh, you said fire community and oh, so that right. be financially independent retire early. Retire early, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'll, I, there's a lot of people that are seeking fire. They're, they've decided to, and it's basically exactly the same thing as ERE, but it's like the cool Ooh, thing about yeah. ERE is ERE kind of describes an extreme on how you could retire right, early. Right, yeah. And then it's your, now that you're aware of it, now that this stuff's in your head, you can choose what you're going to do. You can choose between where you are and what's extreme and find where your comfort zone is. In right. fact, I, I would like to suggest that a person's going to like become aware of extreme and they're going to say like, that's too extreme for me. Right. But I, but I want something about 30% of the way there. And then once they get to be 30% of the way there, they're like, oh, you know what? I can do 40% of the way there. Right, right, yeah. And then, and then they can, next thing you know, they, by the time they retire, they find that they're about 80% of the way there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's like, it turned out it was easier to get to 80% than they originally thought. Right, right, yeah. Uh, so, that's, that's also like a lot of, like, like a lot of the third issues essentially is that they, they're in a structure over here, right? And then there's another structure over here that they see described. And the hard thing is bridging these two things. So what third will usually do is they'll find some something over here, like, well, he doesn't drive a car or something. Or he doesn't need, like, meat or something. And therefore, this, is entire, this, this entire thing is completely impossible. That's, that's a very typical third reaction. So, so in order mm-hmm. to bridge this gap, you need, you need like several structures. That's, that's where the Wheaton levels come in. So you have like Wheaton level zero structure here, which is like say third, third, and you have like third plus one, and they can go from here to the next one, then third plus two, and then as, as you go over, it, 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 it's sort of like more of a continuous transition. Not like, it's not a, it's not a quantum leap from this point to that point. You need, you need multiple examples as, so it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of like having a ladder, right, with different 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 distances between the, the individual steps. I, the I have steps never uh, <laughs> I've never heard the phrase before a Wheaton level, and and so uh, I I gotta say I like it. <laughs> what? Is that not what you call them? That's that's what we I, call them. <laughs> I've always called them uh, eco level, like eco. No, we call yeah, well, the general generalized right. scale. Okay. Oh, yeah, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if if uh, if that's what it, if that's my ends up being my contribution to the world, you know, after I'm dead, then uh, I think yeah, that was a pretty good one. Yeah. So uh, it's pretty simple. This is a little math, but of course you're a math guy, so of course you're grooving on it. Um, all right. Uh, hey, Sean, is there anything to add at this point from yourself or from the people in the chat thing? Having some good chats with the people in the chat. Uh, I've seen a lot of familiar names go by. I saw Donkey in there. I saw Jocelyn in there. Jocelyn, of course, making links to stuff as we go. Oh, yeah. I see what with most people not having their real names, I often have trouble recognizing people. But yes, now I do, I do see Donkey in there. Hello, Donkey. (laughs) (laughs) all right if 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 you've come up with anything that is said in there that we should mash in like some fascinating points uh then then let us know okay 
Cool. Yeah, let's keep going. I think there'll be more to bring in once we get to some of the next sections later on. So. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. Moving along. Maybe Gert should write a book and tell us and tell the world all this. But Gert doesn't feel like it. Gert is a humble woman and thinks nobody would want to hear that. And Gert's more of a reader than a writer anyways. Plus, there are already dozens of lovely permaculture books, so she doesn't feel like she needs to write another one. And, and plus, I think, you know, so Sean and I have now been working on this book for about one year. And we were just talking the other day about by the time that we finally get the books out to everybody, it'll have been a year and a half. So I think Gert is wise at dodging this bullet. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's been like two and a half years writing mine. <laughs> ah. And then when you started, how long did you think it was going to take you? Well, yeah, mine was kind of weird because I was contacted by a publisher, and they typically want this proposal. And I was like, oh, this is way too complicated. I'm just going to write the book instead. And then... And then when I handed it in about two years later, they, they thought something like, well, that's an interesting story, but we don't think that's, that's a market for that kind of stuff. And then I was like, well, screw you guys. I'm just going to like publish it myself. So like six months later, and that was like the horrible part. part. <laughs> it's like step one, write the book, step two to 20, edit, copy, blah, blah, blah. Man, that was horrible. Um, but yeah, and I'm so, going to guess that what happened was is that you'd already written this big blog full of awesome information, and then the publisher said, "Hey, why don't you take all that stuff and mash it into a book?" And you know, and then you uh, said, oh, "Thank you." And then you got you sat down and thought, "You know what? Today is the day I'm going to take all my blog stuff and mash it into a book." No, It'll probably take no, me no. about. <laughs> oh no no no! I'm way no. off. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that was no no that was not how it happened actually. Uh, it was it was like. I think five months after I started the blog, it was more like something you have an interesting voice or some, something you should write a book. Uh, have you ever thought about writing a book? And it's like, this, oh, this is way cool, you know, like I'm getting noticed, so sure. <laughs> but uh, everything, uh, I, I basically put my best stuff in, in into the book uh, in, in the sense that I had ideas, and if, 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 if it was sort of like a dubious idea, I would put it on the blog as a tester to see if it, but if I had something solid, solid, I would write it in the book. So, so, so I've essentially taken nothing from the blog and, 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 and mashed it in, into the book. The book is, is, is written as sort of a, from scratch. It's like the textbook. In, in, in a way, the book is like the textbook of the area, and the blog is sort of like my personal journal thoughts I've had along the way. So yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a, it's not a blog, blog to book, uh, uh, job. Um, well, so I guess the thing I was saying, I'm, I'm projecting it because that's kind of how right. Sean and I's venture went is yeah. I kind of thought, Oh, um, I've already written all this stuff. Maybe somebody like Sean could go and gather up all the stuff right. and glue yeah. it all together and then we'll put out a book. And um, and it would take like five weeks. And I think <laughs> I I think it's true. I think we could have totally done it in five weeks. Yeah. But the thing is, is that as we got like three weeks into it, it's we I think we both kind of got to the idea of like you know we could make this into something much better. Let's, right, right, let's yeah. take extra time mm-hmm. and let's let's do the much better thing. And and so. Where we're, we're at the finish line after all this time of, of like, I mean, like, we have polished every sentence and we have polished every paragraph and we have rearranged things I don't know how many times and we have brought in experts to look at chapters and then we've, uh, our, like the staff at permies.com has, has, has gone through it multiple times and we have repolished and repolished and repolished and I, and I think we're, now we are getting really, really close to the finish line. But I think it's been worth it. Like, like, I think what we started off with before would have been a novelty to maybe a few hundred people, maybe a thousand people. Right, right. So I think, yeah. what, I think what we're about to end up with here, I think is, is something that I'm hoping will go much farther because of all the work we've put into it. And we're hoping it will, it will truly make, make big, big change in the world. But, <clears throat> all right. I'm going to go on and, and try and, uh, and read some more. Ready? Maybe Gert should get more acres and sell more food. Uh, market the food to get more per pound. 
than what people pay at Whole Foods. Maybe get $20 per pound and have five or six people move on to her land and scale up. Set the pace for permaculture all over the world. Nah, that sounds like a lot of hard work and stress. Maybe Gert should teach some classes at her place so people can learn from her example. Gert doesn't feel like a teacher. Plus, to pull this off, she'd have to do advertising and marketing, which really isn't her thing. You say advertising as if you don't like that word. Well, and I, I think the thing is, is that there's like most people don't. Yeah. It's like I don't know how many things that I, like like there's all these people that start these kickstarters. And they come to me and they ask for help, and the thing is, is like they just kind of think they're going to put their Kickstarter up on Kickstarter, yeah. and then money will come in, mm-hmm. and they and they don't they don't have to tell anybody about it, and really that's what advertising is. You're going right, to right, yeah. tell one person. You should at least tell your mom, okay? <laughs> Probably support your Kickstarter, you know? So it's, it's like, but, the, and, and so I'm saying, so people contact me and I say, okay, you know, can you at least create a thread at Permies about it? You know, and I, I know we've probably got some of the permies.com staff online on the chat thing right now, but it's like, it's amazing how many times we're contacted by people about, hey, can you tell your people about uh, my Kickstarter? And it turns out they're not on the dailyish email. They don't have an account at Permies. I don't even know how they heard about us. And that, why? Why do they think that we'll tell, like who they think we are? And and so uh, just can you just tell your people? And it's like can you start by creating a thread at Permies? Because what we do is then we tell people about your thread. And it's like they don't understand and they don't want it. It's like can you just tell people? I don't want to create a thread on your stupid forums. Just. Just tell right, people right, about right, my. Yeah. Why do you have to be such a dick about this? So, this podcast is continued in part two. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com/slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.